week's guest is Andrea Grigge, or just call her Dre. Being the daughter of a diplomat, Dre was born in Belgrade, raised in Budapest, spent some time in Oslo, and now resides in New York City. We talk with Dre about her start in the industry, crafting cocktail menus, and some of the fun times experienced living and working in New York City. She's currently pursuing a master's in media management, and Dre hopes to intertwine her education with the bar industry when she graduates into branding and content production roles. Enjoy the show. Welcome to the Industry Podcast. I'm Kip. This is Dan. How's it going, Dan? Yeah, pretty well, thanks. Uh, your fine self. Uh, I'm fine. Yeah, I got nothing to report. <laughs> <laughs> I got a, I got an empty bar because people don't want to sit inside quite yet. We're on, uh, what June or sorry, August 10th. That's um, correct. Yeah, and uh, people can still sit outside right now. So yeah, the basement speakeasies aren't the hot spot. Yeah, when it's 40 Celsius outside right now, the way it is, it yeah. doesn't help much. Uh, so. We'll just start with a little housekeeping. Uh, if you are a fan of the podcast, and of course, why wouldn't you be? Um, the best way to support us is to subscribe, rate, review, pound that subscribe button, uh, leave a comment, leave a remark, positive ones, please. Yeah. Um, and uh, if you want, if you're a member of the service industry and you want to be on the show, just DM us at the industry podcast. Uh, obviously, you can find this podcast wherever you listen to them. Uh, once again, shout out to at Zakana Design for the artwork. And how do we find them on Instagram? At Zakana Design. <laughs> <laughs> Try and keep up. Yes. And that is uh, Z A K. That's right. That's right. Z A K. There you go. Okay, we got a great guest as usual, Andrea Gruchit. I already fucked that up. But. <laughs> I knew I was going to, but we're just going to call her Dre for the rest of the episode anyway, yep. so uh, we're going to bring her in right now. How's it going, Dre? Hi, guys. What's up? Good to be here. Thanks yeah, for Thanks having. for doing this. <laughs> thanks, for- thanks for butchering my name, too. That's oh, so I just wanted to get that right out of the way. <laughs> say, it for, say it for our listeners. So it's it's Gruic. It's a Serbian last name, but yeah. that's okay. Just I, I go no, by Dre. I think, I'm pretty sure that's exactly what I said. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay. So uh, as you mentioned, you're Serbian, and you are currently in Serbia. Currently, yes. I'm in I'm in Belgrade, which is the capital of Serbia. I am taking a quick uh, two month uh, break from the craziness that's you know been happening in the world. Um, I mean, here included too, but from New York City specifically because I've been there for the last nine years of my life, and uh, I felt like it was just. Uh, a good time to kind of like you know press pause and you know um kind of like work on myself and you know recharge my batteries and then come back and and you know take on my uh the next couple of months with full force so right yeah. and you um so let's talk a little bit about uh what's going on in belgrade there like with, with regards to the coronavirus situation how is the scene there is it uh so like a- the thing is with with the coronavirus i i mean here and in in the rest like all over the world actually i feel like the media is just not covering the tr- they're not covering it in the right capacity if they're sharing what's let's say accurate i don't think they're sharing enough of it i don't think they're sharing the right numbers i mean it's still existing here you know everything closes at 11 p.m. um only restaurants and bars with um with outside seating are allowed to be open uh, there are specific measures you have to follow and specific rules you have to abide by, you know, wearing masks inside, uh, within public transportation, there's only a certain number of people that are allowed in, et cetera, et cetera, which is common with New York City. So nothing 
super drastic in that sense, but um, I feel like the, the the life here is definitely more lively, um, especially in the bar scene, because I do have a couple of industry friends from here and I visited them, you know, again, it's, it's a little weird, like wearing a mask inside. Uh-huh. Um, but uh, again, a lot of the places that have gardens and, and um, you know, backyards open, they're still fully functioning. I mean, it's slower. But uh, mm-hmm. they're making by, so. Oh, that's good. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's this is the time to have a patio, and uh, we just hope that the places that don't get to stay open in the long run. But uh, yeah, and New York City is obviously having a rough time of it, and I know you just left there. So uh, talk a little bit about what's going on in New York City with regards to this. Are you? Is there indoor seating in New York yet, or? So from from what I know, not not specifically, I think that a lot of restaurants are maybe making it work by having outside seating as well. And then, you know, they occasionally put up a couple of tables. Oh, yeah, you guys can sit inside. That's fine. It's just a couple of people. But I mean, let's be real. I don't think anybody's really following the rules. Um, Yeah. Unfortunately, um, the thing is, I've been I've been out of New York for for a while now. Uh, at the moment, I'm not currently fully, you know, in in motion with what's going on. But I remember when I when I left, I feel like I left at the right moment because I, a lot of the things that were happening, um, my boss and I saw we saw eye to eye on a lot of uh, professional things in terms of like what what's what we have to do next but we disagreed on some of the technical things we had to had to change and work on and um, I but by the way the place I used to work at it's it's called high water it's a tropical inspired by uh, inspired bar in Astoria in New York City it is um, my it was my second home it still is I honestly when I come back I'm probably gonna go straight there and you know visit everybody that right. I that I'm friends with and I love the bar uh, but it's definitely been affected by the situation right uh, and uh, that's it's sort of a tiki themed operation yeah yes yes so the high water is a, a tropical inspired uh, tiki tiki bar per se um, I don't like to consider just a tiki bar because we're we're a little bit more than that. Um, the the trajectory that we t- tried to follow when when the bar opened up was uh, tropical inspired, but then we wanted to implement the whole like tiki culture. Uh, but then again, tiki in itself is just like it's it's more of an experience than it is a cocktail or a specific you know like food item you would have. Mm-hmm. Uh, so in that sense, we have a, a bit of a sort of uh, flow of tiki, but we're not strictly tiki. Okay. Um, uh, talk to me a little bit, because I also, like, I own a uh, rum-based bar, that's what we do, but we kind of do, like, high-end sipping rums for the most part, and then nice. rum-based cocktails, but we definitely stay away from the sort of tiki-style cocktail, so talk to me a little bit about the difference between sort of a regular cocktail menu and a tiki cocktail menu, like, what makes a drink tiki? Okay, so, whoa, one of my favorite questions. Oh, uh, see, I, that makes up for butchering your name. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll discuss that later. Okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, so when it comes to tiki drinks, I think that um, a lot of people, like, I feel maybe a common misconception, but also I feel like it's also accurate on the other hand. The more the merrier, right? People think that, like, tiki is just, like, it's it's an overwhelming feeling of this, like, tropical like floral and 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 uh, just a, a blast of flavors right so uh, you do have classics um that kind of are very sort of tame in that sense and they're 
mostly rum based, but you don't have to stick to rum if you're trying to do tiki drinks. Um, what I've what I've discovered in my experience is that um, the more tropical fruits you try to implement and different spices, you know, I mean, like cinnamon, nutmeg, things like that, um, they really work well. And I've gotten pretty creative. I've decided to kind of take certain classic tiki drinks, like for example, a zombie, which involves three different types of rum. And it's very, very boozy. And mm. it's usually something you would recommend to a person who wants to get drunk, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but also, but also enjoy a good cocktail. So, mm. um, I worked on a couple of riffs with that and I really enjoy making homemade syrups. I think that's something that makes a cocktail truly unique. So I've experimented with different tropical flavors like papaya, passion fruit, mango, etc., And I've combined that with different, you know, herbs, um, and I found a lot of interesting liqueurs um, as well because we have a lot of distributors in New York City that constantly bring you new right. um, new uh, products to try. So I, I tend to get creative, you know, in the middle of my shift. I'm like, hmm, what am I going to do when it's slow, especially? I'm like, hmm, let me, let me get a little creative. Yeah. So uh, let's talk a little bit about that, what you just mentioned there with the liquor distributors. Um, that it's quite an interesting relationship between bar owners and bartenders and your sort of liquor reps. Um, if they're bringing in a new product for you, uh, do you find like that just sort of opens a gateway for you to try? Like, what can I do with this new liqueur? What can I, what can I make with it? Is that, is that how you feel about it or? So, so that's how I personally feel about it. Uh, however, the, the owner of the bar usually thinks, Hmm, what can I get from this? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. From this cooperation. So I usually um, am completely honest. If I like a product, I like it. If I don't, I don't. Um, that's what I say to to the distributors. That's what I say to my boss. Because I'm essentially, I'm the one that's supposed to use this product to make something that the customers will enjoy and order. That's right, yeah. Um, so I'm trying to stay true to that. And, you know, I've developed a palette that I can, I can adapt it. When I'm tasting cocktails, I can adapt it to what other people would like. My personal palette is very, very basic. Like, I drink old fashions and Negronis. That's okay. my go-to. Yeah. Um, so it did take me a minute to kind of like get adjusted to something that might be a little bit sweeter, um, Mm -hmm. something that might be a little bit more tangy. Um, but at the end of the day, again, I, what I keep in mind is what my customers will drink and what my customers will like. Mm -hmm. Uh, so with that sense, I don't really pay much attention to, um, let's say, uh, the price or the name or where it comes from. I pay attention to the taste. Right. Um, Now, if no, go ahead. No, no, if, if that combination makes sense for what we're paying for and what we're getting, then I think we're on the same page with uh, my, my boss and I. But, you know, usually um, I feel like my sometimes my uh, my legs get cut when uh, when we yeah. hit a, a barrier like, oh, it's too expensive. We can't use it. So then I have to figure out a way to like recreate that similar flavor in my own way. Right. But that's, kind of, do. that's kind of, yeah, that's an interesting gateway as well. Right. So you've now sampled a product and you're like, okay, fuck, we can't afford it, but, or, or my owner's not behind buying it. And I think as a bar owner myself, sometimes I look at it like, okay, it's great if you can make a cocktail out of this, but can we also sell it as a standalone product if it's going to be expensive, right? Like if it's just a liqueur, those are going to be cheaper. But if it's a sort of a higher priced um, liquor and you're like oh interesting flavor I could definitely make a cocktail out of that but if that's all you're using it for then I, I, I can kind of see the bar owner side of that and and, and look I, I agree with it completely mm-hmm. and I would probably be in the same in the same position if, if I was a bar owner myself mm-hmm. um, but at the end of the day like I said you know it's it's my job to like make something interesting and then see if it's worthwhile mm-hmm. especially if you combine it with other ingredients that might be a little bit more high-end then you can 
let's you, you can justify a higher end price right, for exactly. that. Yeah. Well, so, I think that's it. Like you can pretty much use anything if you can eventually the prices gets sort of pushed onto the guest and for better or worse, but that's just how the business works, right? Like Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I think it's cool that like you will also take say okay, say my bar owner's not behind buying that specific liquor, but I can maybe try and recreate the flavor of it. Exactly. So so a, a great example for that is uh, um, Chirot, which is an aloe liqueur, um, liqueur. Uh, it is, it's it's delicious. I, I love working with it. I think it pairs perfectly with gin and, and different like summer summer flavors. Uh, I mean, cucumber is the, the main go-to for most people. And I made this cocktail called, um, I came in like a melon ball. <laughs> mm. <laughs> um, I did like a riff on Miley Cyrus. Yeah, song yeah, yeah. Yeah, people like trending things and whatnot. Sure. Um, so I paired it with gin. However, again, the price was a little bit too high, so I thought, hmm, what can I do? I went to the closest, like, to the closest uh, supermarket, and I bought big aloe leaves. Mm-hmm. And um, I took it back to the bar. I cut it half open, and I just, like, I, I literally used raw aloe, and I made a syrup out of that. Um, uh, yeah, so syrup and go, then, yeah. Yep, so, you know, we made it work. The flavor yeah. was there. It, it wasn't that same sort of product but again we were looking for that flavor note of aloe so that's what you're looking for more than anything yeah. i think like it's, I'm, it's interesting you brought that up because i think a lot of these new liqueurs that come out they're just like trying to come up with something because everything's been done so it's just like fuck it let's make an aloe liqueur but it's like yeah like why wouldn't you just go buy aloe and make a syrup out of it it's way more practical and way less expensive i mean the, the, i think a lot of people are lacking that initiative honestly mm. i think a lot of people are just kind of going with the flow and like oh it's, it's already there like yeah i'll just go pick it up at the store Right. Um, and I think that, I mean, especially with these times, I think a lot more people are getting inspired to create more and more on their own. Mm-hmm. Um, and especially now, because people are also trying to cut their costs, you know, restaurants and bars are not making the same amount of money that they're making, that they were making before. No, um, they're trying to support their staff at the same time. So, you know, certain budget cuts had to be made and, mm-hmm. you know, they're justified and make, they make sense. I mean, we, we had to do that first. We, uh, we don't have the same staff capacity. We had to let some people go and, um, you know, the, the we're we're tr- we're trying to make make it sort of make sense, mm-hmm. and so far it has made sense. It's just, I it's just a new normal that we all have to get used to. Yeah, uh, let me ask you, what do you think makes a good cocktail list? Like, you know, when you go to a cocktail bar, or someone or something that uh, advertises itself as a cocktail bar, like what what goes into the crafting of the list itself? Like, what should be on there, or in your opinion? That's a good question. Thank um, you. That's what I hear you hear, Nice. Uh, so I think when you're when you're crafting a cocktail, is first first and foremost, you have to keep in mind the identity of your bar, like mm-hmm. of the bar that you own. Like, what is it that you're trying to sell to your customers? Um, I, for example, whenever I go to a place, I like to try something that is uh, like, let's say, a craft cocktail of their own, something that's unique to them, something mm-hmm. that's different. Um, however, whenever I do go to a bar, I usually, the first drink I order is a classic because that's how I judge them. If you know how to make a classic, I should probably trust that okay. sense. And order I got to stop you here because we've talked about this forever on the show. Uh, it's like, it, was, it was sort of like a pat question that I would ask people right from the jump is like, do you have that cocktail that you test a bar on? Because I do the same thing. It's like, okay, if I walk into a bar and, and, and I'm just like, Okay, is this is this is this bar the real deal? Uh, I'll order a black Manhattan and see if they know how to make it properly. And if they don't, then I'll go to beer or wine or whatever, right? But so, what's your what's your go-to cocktail in that sense? Uh, I think 
I mean, an old fashioned. I, I keep yeah. it very simple. You know, I like an old fashioned. And if I if I see them grab some other additional sweetener or some, if they don't ask me what kind of bourbon I want, or I, I just I, right. I don't know. I feel like there's like a drape that just goes over my eyes. Right. I don't know. Um, but a lot of times I've been I've been pleasantly surprised. And some people usually just go for, oh, do you want a classical fashion? You want to experiment a little bit? Do you like mezcal? And like you're speaking my language. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Please yeah. continue. Yes. <laughs> Um, um, and so, I, I wanted to uh, touch on something you brought up there as well, because uh, when you mentioned going into a bar and being like, OK, I want to see their list. I want to see what they do here, because uh, that's that's important in judging a good cocktail bar, obviously, as working in one yourself. And I'm just touching on this because it drives me crazy when someone comes in and they're like, I want that cocktail, but can I do it with a different liquor or a different, <laughs> like, why do people do that? It's just like, I don't know. Uh, clearly I don't the cocktail has been crafted with a lot of care. Why don't you try Are there it for first? a reason? Yeah. I know. Like, oh, I don't like rum. Can I have it with gin? I'm like, you haven't even fucking tried it yet. <laughs> How do you know that you don't yeah. like it? Yeah, Jesus. exactly. Um, I think that a lot of people may carry certain, you know, um, how do you say that? Uh, I guess just past bad decisions, <laughs> that, <laughs> yeah. you know, yeah. that they may just connect a bad experience with a specific spirit so that that makes them kind of like, you know, sway away from it. Uh, but I usually encourage my customers, Hey, look, try it. If you don't like it, I'll make you something else. Sure. Um, yeah. you know, we, we, I mean, at the end of the day, that's what I'm there to do. You yes. know, I'm there to, you know, make, make you make an experience for you and make you have a good time and, and have you try something different that you haven't tried before. So right. why go through the trouble of, you know, even like getting pissed about it or, I mean, obviously I feel some type of way because I did make the list and I, it's not that I'm, I never consider myself somebody who, you know, you know, puts, puts himself up on a pedestal and things like, oh, I created this list. I'm the, you know, the, the God of everything. No, that's right. not, that's not the way I think about it. But you know, they're my babies. Like my cocktails are my babies. My yep. bars, maybe I, I like to think of them as such. And whenever I have customers who want to modify it, I'm like, look, give it a try and we'll work around it if you don't like it. Right. Um, but unfortunately it's something that we see on a daily basis. And you know, a lot of people just don't have uh, the experience with cocktail culture. They, they just don't yeah. know. They don't know how it works. You know, well, they're used to drinking Bay Breezes and, and sex on the beach. That's right. <laughs> well, and they don't put the, the they don't have the thought that you uh, that you have like picked a certain spirit for a certain reason because it pairs with the cocktail you've crafted, right? Like that's like there's a reason why you pick that spirit. We just don't pull this shit out of our ass and say like uh, I already. It's not like you come up with the cocktail first and then say ah, what should I shove in it? Gin, like. <laughs> You know what I mean? Like, but that's what I'm saying. People who who don't do this, they don't know. Yeah, that. that's right. Uh, they yeah. just go and they want eat, they want something tasty. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm just kidding. Not to yeah. not to be an asshle. No, um, that, that's no, uh, but 100 true. Yeah. They, they, they don't know what they're drinking. They just want something that tastes good, that makes sense. And you know, if they want to stick to a specific base, you know, a lot of people uh, sometimes when they go bar hopping, for example, they just pick. They might like the sound of the flavors, but then, oh, I've been drinking gin all night. Maybe I should stick to gin. So that's oh, why they want to alter right. it. Right. Actually, that's a good point. Yeah. And and I don't mind that. But then if that's what they say, then I, I usually just make them something on the fly. And another good point that you brought up actually is spirit bias, because I certainly, after, well, there was a stretch where I couldn't drink vodka for like years and years and years due to a bad Same. drinking experience. So, I still, yeah. I still yeah. can't. Yeah, Mm-mm. that's all right. It's a shitty spirit anyway, right? <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, okay, let's uh, let's back it up a little bit and talk about how you got into the industry in the first place. Um, you, what, how old were you when you had your first uh, industry job? 
Wow, that's a that's a TBT. Give me a second. So okay. I was about I feel I, I was about seventeen when I first got into the industry, but I was working as a waitress at first. Mm-hmm. Um, when I became, let's say, Europe, European legal, eighteen, right. um, <laughs> they started they started training me behind the bar more and more because they they thought that I had a personality that would fit, you know, well um, as somebody who can like you know attract customers and keep them mm-hmm. engaged and, and whatnot. Uh, but they told me I had to lie about my age, so right. so, so that was that was. Fun fact, but um, um, no, I'm kidding. Uh, anyways, they, they trained me. I learned the basics, and um, it, technically, you're allowed to serve alcohol, but you you can't consume it, right? Right. <laughs> um, so I learned the basics, and you know, I trained, and it was it was a, it was a very small bar. Um, not, you know, not not even like worth mentioning because they closed very fast. But um, I again, that was like my stepping stone. I learned the basics. I got to feel what it was like, but to be behind the bar. And then once they closed, I was like, I looked for another job. Again, I got a job as a server, and then um, one day we had a crazy brunch shift, and the bartender never showed up. Right. And I said, "Hey, l- let me let me help you guys until whoever shows up." And then I I literally like just like jumped in, I set the bar up, and I banged out margarita. For some reason, nobody drinks margaritas for brunch, right? No. They drink <laughs> Yeah. That day, that's all they had. Yeah. So uh, thank God I knew how to make a margarita. Right. And um, <laughs> I juiced enough limes. So uh, we made it work. Yeah. And uh, yeah, that day my boss like called me into his office. And by the way, he could never remember my name. So he would he would be like, Adriana, Adri- you know what? Your name is Dre from now on. That's how that happened. That's how that happened. That's how that happened. Yeah. So he just put me on the schedule as Dre and I was Dre from there on. Uh, and uh, yeah, so I started working as a bartender there. And, you know, the more I got into the whole like, feel of making cocktails and and serving them to people i started like researching and like learning and reading more and just kind of like you know picking up classics that's what i worked on the most in the beginning um and then one guy noticed me um because i just knew them from seeing them in the neighborhood and that was the owner of high water and at the time uh the bar manager and they came in into this place and they were like hmm you know how to free pour. That is very rare. What? Where are you from? What is this? And they started questioning me and like testing me on a bunch of things that are like, make me this, make me that, make me this, make me that. And, you know, um, I mean, within like the hour or two that they were sitting there, they got pretty drunk, uh, drunk enough to offer me a job. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. so yeah. that worked out. Uh, right. And then I, yeah, and then I started working at the high water. A couple of months later, I fully switched over there. And then I started this whole new world opened up to me. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't know, it, you know, from some from a survival job, I got into something that could potentially be a career move, you know, and I'm still right. discovering um, this, like certain things that I could do within the industry, because um, I'm not just interested in bartending and bar managing. I also love the whole media marketing aspect of it as well, working with spirit brands, producing content, um, etc. So We'll see where that takes me. Right. Well, that's yeah, that's interesting. And then, um, so when you start at the high water, obviously you, this is when you kind of really start developing your bar game. I'm guessing. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Yeah. Um, like I said before, I I knew how to make classic drinks, you know, and what I mostly made at the other place because I mean it, it was again it was another bar located in Astoria. All people drank were aperol spritzes, proseccos, mimosas, margaritas, and mm-hmm. mojitos. So yeah. <laughs> those were the, the 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 realms I I kept within. But then at High Water, I got introduced to you know homemade syrups and um, smoking glasses and. I don't know, pea flower, things I never heard of before. And once, you know, those creative uh, ticks kicked in, I started sort of developing my own 
uh, feel for recipes. And I started working on my own riffs. And, you know, when I was 12, I started cooking more and more at home. And um, that just kind of was a natural segue into into cocktailing because I knew how to cook. Mm-hmm. You know, I was I was good at, at pairing flavors. And then, you know, when, when you pair that with creativity, it's just the opportunities and the possibilities are endless, you know? Right. So I feel like that's that's where it all stems from. Yeah. yeah. What's uh, what's one of the fav- what are your favorite cocktails that you put on a list of the high water? Definitely the Freedom Mescalo, without okay. a doubt. Um, that cocktail. So as you can might be able to sort of conclude from the name, um, I called it the Freedom Mescalo. Its base it's, is mezcal, and it's inspired by one of my favorite female artists, uh, Frida Kahlo. Uh, the way I created that drink, it was actually inspired. Uh, by um by this women's uh women's month in march um it was sort of like an event that they did in astoria at this other bar and they asked me to contribute a recipe so i created this cocktail it has mezcal it has strega which is an italian liqueur mm-hmm. uh, mango agave syrup um what else a little bit of lime blood orange and aquafaba and aquafaba mm. for those of uh, you who don't know is a vegan substitute for egg whites which gives the cocktail a different level of frothiness and texture uh and then i rimmed it with black lava salt so essentially the cocktail oh. is it's served in a rocks glass and uh it's it's beautiful I, and also it has like an edible orchid it, it reminds you of like frida Kahlo and her art and that's been our, our best seller since like mm. since the moment we put it on the menu it paid rent for like months oh, uh, nice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh so that's probably the cocktail I'm most proud of um all and the other you, one i mean it's it's really hard to choose but yeah well they're all your babies right that's the thing no, I'm a so, baby. yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, and so this bar tell, talk about the location of the high water for people who don't know new york city that well like what where what area of the city is it in what kind of a clientele do you generally get so um the high water is located on 35th and broadway in astoria new york um it is on the very corner you can't miss it uh you're gonna you're gonna see like basically from like blocks away you can see like a tropical oasis like kind of like you know rumbling at the at the at the corner of the block because we have a lot of flowers and a lot of uh sort of like palm trees and whatnot my uh, my boss is a big fan of, of plants so mm. <laughs> he really wanted to to make that tropical vibe very known and noticeable uh we're definitely one of like one of the we are the only bar in Astoria that's of that sort um at the at the moment we also have outside seating and um we've sort of rearranged and readapted to this new industry i mean to this new form of of functioning you know with covid and everything that's been going on um and it's it, i mean it's very accessible it's just it's i think they've managed to keep up with the same standard that we held back in the day it's definitely hard it's not the same but uh we, for example, we, we started right before I left, we uh, readjusted our whole cocktail menu, simplified it a little bit, uh, but we started serving cocktails in little like to-go bags, to-go pouches that look like Capri Sun bags. Oh, nice. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So we had some cocktails served in that. We had, uh, we made frozen drinks. I mean, you know what? It's the summer. Everybody wants something refreshing and cold. Sure. So we, we went with that as well. And uh, we served stirred cocktails in little mason jars that resemble um, cocktail glasses so that you can actually like sort of have the same feel as mm-hmm. if you were drinking a cocktail at a bar. So we really put a lot of thought into that. Yeah. Is there, um, is there a lot more drinking on the street in New York now that this? Uh... Oh, God. I feel like, I feel like New York, especially a story he's, has become New Orleans. Oh, yeah. <laughs> no, for, no. Seriously, yeah. I, I, we've had a couple of issues with customers because they just like they wouldn't leave. 
you know, oh, I mean, in, in the very beginning when they allowed bars to, to start selling to-go cocktails, you were not supposed to, like, roam around the streets and drink, like, right in right. front of the place. You're supposed to either order for pickup or come, you know, or, or get it delivered. Uh, but a lot of people didn't get that. So they would just come and hang out by the window and, you know, try to drink in the street. And then we'd have cops come <laughs> over and like, hey, guys, you got to move it along. Um, so I think that's just something that people needed to kind of readjust and, and learn how to deal with. Um, and what's kind of your clientele there? Is it like, uh, are you like price wise, are you a more expensive place, average price, a cheaper spot? I, w- I would say that we're uh, somewhere in between like an average, average price place and a cheaper place um just because we have really good i mean we had really good happy hour deals at the moment i i think that we're actually like we're we're pretty cheap given the the circumstances i mean our cocktails go for about 10 bucks um double we sell so it's either a single or a double so a single is 10 bucks the double is 15 um again we've, we've definitely changed the way we work but i feel like the average price of our cocktails before was somewhere between um, Eleven to fourteen dollars, which is that's still pretty yeah. cheap, especially for New York. I mean, it is, yeah, yeah. especially for New York, and also for the standard uh, that we tried to set. You know, the products that we're using um, were. I mean, again, all of these brands do go out of their way to help us, and you know, they host events at our bar, so it it compensates for the fact that the prices are a little bit lower. Uh, but we are a local bar. You know, we right. we attract a local crowd, people who live in Astoria. We do have visitors from Manhattan, you know, because of of um, what we're known for. They're, they come for the whole tiki, tropical drink experience and, and the good music and the good vibes. And Dre. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but, you know, I feel like most of our clientele are locals. And I think that's something that I'm probably going to miss the most uh, because I, you know, these people have grown to be my friends as well. I mean, think about it. Like I've been at that place for two and a half years. Yeah. These are people that I see sometimes more often than I see my friends. Right. So they're really growing you. And I feel like I've grown on them too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's a funny experience with the regulars. And um, so working in a corner spot like that, I worked at a place that had a big regular base um, for many, many years. And they do, like you do end up seeing them more than your like your partner or if you have a family your parents like these are the people who are sort of in your world for most of your time no absolutely so you know in that sense i feel like i've spent i mean i choose to work my birthdays you know yeah uh for a reason too first of all i have i have a great time i make a lot of money yeah, sure. uh, <laughs> yeah, and I know I also get to spend that time with my friends and with my regulars because I, I always tell my friends, "Hey, like come come, come to my my spot." I get around like I, I usually pick the first shift, so I get off right. early, uh, and then we move on. You know, we we go and have fun somewhere else. But um, no, I think that having a good regular base and having a good relationship with them is is honestly key to having a, a local business be successful. Because think about it, if you're if you're located in Manhattan, if you're in the East Village, West Village, like you're gonna you're gonna be busy. You're gonna have a lot of foot traffic. People mm-hmm. go there all the time. People, you know, walk around. Um, and it's it's also like a tourist magnet. Nobody's mm-hmm. gonna come out to Astoria to you know sightsee. Not right. really, unless no. you have like I don't know a month a month to spare. Right. Um, so really focusing on hitting that local crowd and like making sure that they feel welcome and making them feel uh, comfortable enough to come back and keep coming back every every like a couple of days a week is is really key. And mm-hmm. I think that we've achieved that, um, especially on my end, like my days, every single time I work, I see my people. I'm very happy. And now that I think about it, I'm getting a little nostalgic and emotional. Oh. But yeah, no, I really, I really yeah. do miss some of them. Like uh, the uh, thing is, we're all friends now. You know, we, sure. we talk, 
we keep in touch. So, and we've all anyone who's been in this business for a long time have those regulars who have just crossed over into just legit friends that you're now hanging out with, right? So, um, yeah. What? Uh, where do you guys go to drink in when you when you're out in New York? What Ooh. are your spots? What are my spots? Okay, so uh, given that I'm Serbian, that I have a Serbian background, naturally I like to gravitate towards my roots. Mm-hmm. Um, Employees Only is one of my uh, favorite spots in New York City. Mm-hmm. Um, it is a bar uh, located in, I think, on the west side, mm-hmm. <laughs> on the yeah. lower 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 west side. Is that a is that a thing? Anyways, I mean, if you Google Employees Only, you can't miss it. It's like yeah. the like one of the only places. Anyways, so I know a lot of the people there. They're all my neighbors. They're all my friends. Um, and I think it's, it's just, I feel like I just have a great time whenever I go there because it's a great industry spot. I usually go from like Monday through Thursday. I do not go out on the weekends. I hate the bars on the weekends. I avoid them by all means. Mm -hmm. I can't deal with that. (laughs) I prefer to work. So, so I usually, um, hit employees only. I feel like that's like, just like, it feels like home, you know? That's a very. Uh, that's become a pretty famous cocktail bar in New York. Uh, so, do you find that, uh, like, when you go to a place like that, do, you, do does that influence your own cocktail style in any way? I mean, it does and it doesn't. Uh, I feel like Employees Only is just a, a a beast on its own. You know, they made such a such a, a prominent name for themselves. You know, they have pretty. I think they have the same cocktail list for a very long time. And you know, they switch it on and off seasonally. They might have a couple of additions, but they keep what they're known for. Mm-hmm. You know, and and I think that's what made made them so successful. Especially being a bar that kind of reflects the Prohibition era. They're very good at what they do. They're they're all of their bartenders are super talented and very good at what they do. So um, I think that's what they're known for. And a lot of bars should strive to follow the same pattern in that sense. But I feel like in a lot of the ways we function, I think that we're a lot more laid back and relaxed because, sure. you know, if you think about Tiki and Tropical, that's kind of the vibe of, of yeah. uh, that culture. Yeah. Um, but, you know, and I, I mean, I have a couple of other bars that I also I love Katana Kitten. Um, I know they were mentioned on uh, on the uh, Tales of Cocktail as one of the best bars Um that in the world and i mean they're they're they are phenomenal i love their uh what is it called they have a a negroni riff that's just to die for i cannot remember the exact ingredients in it but i remember having it one night after a couple of other bars that i've been to right sure that's why you can't yeah (laughs) there you go they caught me um but yeah so i love i love that spot let me let me think about this uh where else do i usually go out in new york city hmm um, I used to work at Paper Daisy. and right. uh, I, I don't know about this bar, so tell me about it. So Paper Daisy, they, they are currently closed uh, due to COVID, but uh, they opened up about, uh, I, I believe, like mid-March uh, 2019. No, 2020? 2019? Probably 2019, because March Probably. just, yeah. Yes, anyways. Yeah, yeah so, um, yeah, they're, they're pretty new uh, bar in uh, St. Mark's Place. And uh, I feel like they tried to do this thing with like elevated cocktails, but full like high volume. And they were pretty successful at first that we we had a big staff. And, you know, one by one, people started like coming off because they just like couldn't handle the pressure. And it it got really busy, really busy, really fast. Mm. (laughs) Um, But they're a part of the bigger restaurant group. And they also own Mr. Paradise, which is another phenomenal cocktail bar. Um, Will Wyatt is the one behind the whole program. Um, I applaud them great job and they they've really handled this whole covid situation like phenomenally um yeah i feel like that that whole part of of manhattan really has great spots to go to 
uh, Holiday Cocktail Lounge, which is on the same block on St. Mark's uh, next to uh, Paper Daisy, has also been kind of a go-to, especially for industry people. After we all close up our shop, we go there because they're open until 4 a.m. Right. You know, and there's and you and you run into a lot of people, you know, that um, that are industry that really kind of are looking for that like filter to just kind of like relax, have a beer and a shot, you know, mm. and stop slinging cocktails because that's what we do all night. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's an interesting point. Like when I go out drinking, uh, like I like like you, I like to if I go to a cocktail bar, sure, I'm going to try their cocktails or whatever. But you kind of know what you want to drink after a while, like because you got you just got off work, you want a beer, you want a glass of wine, you want a shot or whatever. Like, do you find that when you go out drinking, you kind of keep it simple? I absolutely 100 percent do. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> First off, I feel like I, I almost feel like an asshole for trying to, you know, order a cocktail if they're busy. <laughs> right. I know what you mean. Yeah, I know. So, yeah. So usually, especially if I go visit my industry friends, I try to keep it as simple as possible. I order something like right off the back. I either I really I either order a beer and a shot or I go for like a super easy, fast classic that takes them like 10 seconds to make. So um I would say keep it pretty simple. And that's something that I appreciate more because I'm a big fan. I, I really like the flavor of a spirit. So I usually, I'm, I'm a big rum drinker. I love whiskey. I love mezcal and I really like to taste it. I hate when I blend it all with like a lot of citrus. I'm, I, I'm not a, I don't know. I feel like maybe margaritas are the only things that I drink uh, are the only cocktails with citrus that I actually enjoy possibly daiquiris. It really depends on the mood that I'm, that I'm in. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I don't know. It just doesn't sit well with me. I really like the flavor of like a like a pure spirit with maybe a couple of additives. But yeah, yeah, those are the types of cocktails I, I That's similar to me. Like I, I feel like the whole reason you're drinking a cocktail is to, is this. I'm very into the spirit forward cocktail, like a me cocktail too. that has that you can taste with the base of it, right? As Absolutely. opposed to just dumping a shit ton of syrup in it, and whatever. <laughs> like, and then it just tastes like I. I we were talking about this recently actually on one of the podcasts i can't remember which one now but um they about how like cocktailing has now become just like how many ingredients can i fucking jam into a into a drink you know what i mean and then and after a while you're not really tasting any of those flavors specifically you're just tasting like a jumble of flavor and that's where you have to be really careful and that's where you have to use a very sort of uh, prominent spirit mm-hmm. you know that's why I love working with Mezcal. That's why I love yeah. working with Jamaican rums because you can taste it. Even yeah. no matter no matter what you decide to pair it with, obviously in like proper, like rational measures, I think that those spirits kind of really do come forward. Vodka, on the other hand, it literally, it, it just makes whatever flavors you combine together, it just makes it boozy. Yeah. It doesn't taste like anything. That's yeah. why actually I like working with vodka if I'm infusing something. Sure. I usually use it for different like herbal infusions or when I whenever I make uh, liqueurs. Um, yeah, homemade liqueurs, I use vodka. I mean, because the taste of the flavor is going to come out. Because yeah, I, I like exactly. to call I like to call vodka shit spirit. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, if, um, works. That works. Yeah, so. yeah. No, and I and I think that that's yeah that's the key. Like you, you can get you can get too much into all of this like jumbling of flavors and really you kind of want the spirit to come forward. That's the whole point of like why you're working with the spirit in the first place. Um, Let's talk a little bit about, I mean, imagine working in New York for as long as you did, you've had some pretty crazy experiences, bad and or good. Oh boy. Yep. I've had a few, had a couple of stories. Tell us us some stories. Okay. Well, uh, I will, I don't think I'll forget this. This was one of the first nights that I worked at high water. 
uh, I will never forget. So my, my bar manager at the time, uh, he, he was a handsome guy, you know, covered in tattoos, man bun. He was uh, from Spain, from Mallorca. He had like a full on beard and a lot of the girls liked him. So there were these two women, uh, they were a little bit older and they decided to, uh, they, I don't know. You could just feel the tension you know, because they were fighting for his, for his attention. Right. Yeah. Right. So he was talking to, you know, one woman and then she was talking to the other one, but like, just, you know, being polite, being friendly, all of a sudden you just see these two women like grabbing each other's hair and going at it. And I had no, no idea, no clue what the fuck had happened. I'm like, hold hold on. We we're having a cat fight in the middle of a tiki bar. Like what's happening so um, after that, my boss thought like he's like, wow, we might actually have to get a bouncer at some point. Like, look, look at you, look what, look at what, you're doing. Look at what kind of trouble you're causing. Uh, but uh, we actually had to call the cops because apparently they assaulted the guy that was also sitting next to them. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, it was uh, it was it was pretty crazy. So that was one of my first like introductory stories uh, for this like whole industry. Uh, but then I. I um, <laughs> I'm also the type of person, um, you know, being a girl behind the bar, it tends to be kind of annoying at some times because people have certain, you know, um, judgments and they, you know, they see a, a pretty face behind the bar. They assume that you're there just to attract customers that you don't know anything, et cetera. You know, and I've had a lot of times, I've, I've experienced that a lot of times. And um, I'll never forget the the day when I, I had a full bar. It was, oh my God, I was alone on a Friday night. I wanted to cry on the inside. I think I was crying mm. on the inside. <laughs> Anyways, so full bar. And I have a couple sitting at the end, at the very corner on my left. And I'm busy. I have about seven, seventy tickets in front of me. And I'm just, I'm making drinks and trying to bang them out as fast as I can. And this guy raises his hand and starts snapping at me. Oh, he's snapping at me and yeah. whistling at the same time. He's oh, like, Ooh. like you're a dog. Uh, oh, do you know what I did? You know what? I, did? I barked. <laughs> I looked at him. I looked at him straight in the face and I barked. I really did. Uh, His girlfriend started laughing. The, the entire bar started laughing. And then I, I looked at him. I was like, what am I fucking dog, bro? Yeah. Um, and I never talk like that usually. No. Uh, I'm very nice to my customers. I think that might have been uh, the third for nut shot I took. Oh, I, th- I think. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so. I think. Uh, I think whistling is like the hair trigger for all of us, though, right? Like, I hate that. You I know my name. He knew my name. I introduced myself to every single customer. Uh, Even if you don't, excuse me. Hey, excuse me. Hey, I'm sorry. That's more than enough. Whistling and snapping, dude. Where did you grow up? Like, who taught uh, you that? Or, or the waving of the money. Oh God! Oh God! <laughs> That's the other one I've never really understood. Like, Ooh. you're not in a rap video. Like, yeah, no, just, like throw those singles at me. Yeah, hey. yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's, it's so insulting, yeah. and it's just like it, it's it's demeaning. Like they're not they're looking right through you. Like you literally are just there to serve them. Yeah, but that's that's a whole other story. <laughs> uh, oh boy. Yeah. So um, and but you probably also had some crazy good experiences behind the bar in New York as well. I did. So. You know, one of one of the one of the best experiences we've definitely hosted a lot of parties, a lot of birthdays and uh, I personally have had a, an amazing birthday like this past uh, December. I invited all my friends, all my regulars and it really was the best night ever. Uh, you know, we popped a champagne bottle. I was the one that jumped up on the bar. And again, I feel like this is this is all something that just cannot happen at like a like a very classy like bar. Right. You know, right. It, it, yeah. This is something that is 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 common at local bars where people are there to have fun, to connect with you, to be friends with you, and um, 
Yeah, so I feel like th- that was probably the best. We, we are the ones that also get to be a part of the experience. You know, we're not just there to serve. We're there to to uh, be involved in it as well. So mm-hmm. I think that's what really made it kind of, you know, authentic and cool. Uh, outside of the ones we just obviously mentioned, do you have any um, specific pet peeves from guests? I feel like, I mean, we can honestly, if we're talking about peppies, we can talk about this all night. But uh, <laughs> if, we're, if we're keeping it, you know, um, straightforward, I, I just think common decency, you know, being polite. I think yeah. that's something that people lack uh, more and more, you know, in this day and age. And I think, it, I mean, it really goes a long way. Just be yeah. nice. Hey, how, how are you? If people mm. answer, hey, how are you with give me an old fashioned or whatever, like IPA or something. I'm like, oh, I will repeat the question. I will repeat the question and I will look at you and make you feel stupid. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. I know. I used to say to people, like, I'd be like, hey, how's it going? And they'd be like, Coors Light. And I'd be like, cool. That's a name of a beer, but how's it going? <laughs> <laughs> like, you know, like, that's not what I asked you. Like, that's that's pretty much the same way in my conversation yeah. goes. So I think that's just my, my pet peeve. My pet peeve is that when people are just like impolite and, and mean. Um, Mm -hmm. and maybe sometimes when they can't read a situation and they just like start like trying to get your attention and, and you tell them, give me one, one second, please. Or, or something like that. Or, oh goodness. When they order a cock, they order, oh, make me some, surprise me, make me something you like. I don't know what you like. Oh my God. Please tell me. I think you're touching on every single one of my pet peeves. (laughs) Uh, Like some people would be like, (laughs) uh, I'd be like, okay, what, what can I get for you? And they, they would say something like. Oh, I don't know. Uh, yeah, like you said, surprise me or whatever. It's like, and I would say to them, like, well, we just met. <laughs> I don't, I, know, I literally know nothing about you. I so. don't know what you like. Yeah. Tell me what you like. Give me, yeah. give me some kind of guidance. Oh, actually, biggest one. Oh my God, that looks so pretty. What's that? I want that. Yeah, that's probably mm-hmm. the worst one because, for example, the Freedom Escalo, beautiful cocktail, but it is with mezcal. Right. Some people do not like mezcal. Mostly women do not like, I mean, most of the women that I've served did not like mezcal in that capacity when they thought that it was like a pretty looking cocktail. And they, they, they for example, asked me to make it with vodka. And on that note, I really wanted to cry. Oh, like, yeah. Because oh, you know, you've lost the whole flavor of the cocktail. What are you supposed to do? Stick exactly. It yeah, like maybe. Like all, literally. Smoke a cigarette the, next to it or? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it, it just wouldn't be the same effect. Yeah. You know, but like, I mean, the whole purpose of that cocktail was to be like all of the other flavors that are in that drink were literally added to it because of mezcal. Yeah. To pair and, with mezcal. And that goes so. back to what we were talking about earlier where like, where, and I, and we, I, we all understand the guests don't really get this and all the time, but that. The, what goes into the crafting of the cocktail is there was a, a spirit was picked for a certain reason because it pairs with the flavors and like you say generally people don't start with the um, with the mix when they're crafting a cocktail they start with the spirit right so if you've chosen something like mezcal now all the other flavors you're using in that cocktail have been carefully selected to pair with mezcal so what are you going to do fucking sub it with sourpuss like <laughs> I mean, see, on that note, I, I usually I give them the best closest option, which is tequila. Yeah. But uh, I mean, or I just try to sway them the other way. I'm like, maybe you should try this. Maybe if you like vodka, maybe you should try this one. Or if you like gin, maybe you should yeah, try this one. Yeah, try a different drink. Yeah, let's do that instead of subbing yeah. out what I do. Like. <laughs> or or I'll just make you something on the fly. Usually that's what yeah. I do, and I just make it look very nice, and I keep I keep it simple. I don't like to 
you know, surprise people too much, especially if I can already tell that they're being extremely picky. Um, so I, I give them, I, I usually give them a classic in that case. You know, I make them something that's, you know, refreshing, citrusy, quick. Yeah. You, you can kind of, do you find that you can kind of gauge what, like when you've been doing the job for long enough, you can kind of gauge sort of what that guest is going to be into. And you can almost ignore what the, the words that are coming out of their mouth, but almost the way that they're, Talking about it? Yeah, you can kind of gauge what, ah, they're going to like this. I I have had a couple of moments like that, but to be completely honest, I kind of stopped. I feel like there's a certain aspect of, uh, like, a a judgment that goes into that. um, Yeah, that's true. You know, I mean, but then again, I I do judge people, but then I, I personally don't like to be judged because that happened to me once. And ever since then, I've been very careful with how I, like talk to people about what they're going to drink because you never want to assume. Right. Um, I came into this one Irish bar and uh, the guy, his name is Rudy. Rudy, Rudy. He's very cool. Uh, anyways, <laughs> yeah, I walk in and I'm looking, I'm looking at their whiskey shelf and I see Lafroig and I'm like, mm, I'm in the mood for that. Uh, Cause I just had a nice like big burger before and I just had a lot of meat in me. I'm like, I'm, I'm ready for something to like cut it all down. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, I sit down and I'm like, Oh, he comes up and he's like, vodka soda. And I'm like, hmm, nope. Look okay, that, Thank you. Yeah, that's yeah. that's a little bit. Like, I don't think I would ever push it that far. But kind of like... He did. Yeah, I, I feel more like when you're discussing cocktails with somebody and, like, they're saying, oh, like, I like this or this. and But you can almost tell. It's like, yeah, I kind of can peg what the type of what you might be into. But not to that level where it's like walking up and assuming that you're going to order a vodka soda because you're a good-looking woman. <laughs> I, mean, he, I mean, he was he was just very blunt about that. And yeah, I, yeah. I thought it was funny. Afterwards, he was apologizing. He didn't even charge me anything afterwards. He, he felt terrible. He was like, I'm so sorry. <laughs> you're just, you know, you can't blame a man for assuming. Da, 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 da. And I'm like, yeah. oh, well, it's okay. Um, I mean, I've been back there ever since. He's, he's, he's pretty cool, but he feels terrible every time now he uh, he <laughs> buys me a shot of Lafroy for that reason yeah, well, let's see that's uh, worth so. going back for then yeah, yeah. I'm telling you man it's yeah. a great it's a, it's a great scotch yeah. um yeah the uh the other thing I find sometimes uh when you're when you're kind of sussing out that situation with a guest too is like that can be annoying is you know the one where they're uh just surprise me but I'm allergic to these five ingredients. I hate these six things. <laughs> it's like, Why are you in a bar? Yeah, just get a beer. Plate? Get a beer. Just get a beer. Why <laughs> yeah. would you ever want a cocktail? I don't understand. I know. Well, um, so these, these that's places, usually my response. Yeah, <laughs> these places that you've worked in Toronto, the, the two that we just mentioned, um, are they are you are you known for food as well, or is it most is strictly a booze booze spots? Um, I mean, they are mostly booze spots, but I mean, we uh, the high water has awesome food. Honestly, mm-hmm. it's I mean, it's tropical inspired. I would say it's like tropical inspired uh, grub, um, you know, pop, like bar food and snacks that we've elevated to like a different level. Um, it's a fusion of different like Asian and Hawaiian dishes. And um, I don't know. I feel like they've done a really great job. We, I know that all of the ingredients we use, like we make our own burgers, we make, like blend our own meats. Um and pineapples go on mostly everything. Um, right. <laughs> but, you know, that's just like the, the, the way, you know, tropical cuisine works, I guess. Um, and are you pairing cocktails to go with the food or is it pretty, is that pretty much self-explanatory and easy because you're doing sort of tropical cocktails, the food's tropical as well. It's just, is that easy or? 
I feel like it's it's somewhere in the middle. You do, you don't want to overdo it. Um, I I'm for example like whenever I recommend certain drinks and foods to people, I think about that. Mm-hmm. You know, we don't have let's say we don't have per se menu guidelines, but those are that's where we really step in uh, our staff training. Every single time we have a menu flip, we have you know we taste the food, we taste the drinks. Obviously, not everything is going to pair well with with uh, not all the food is going to pair well with all the drinks. So in that sense, you really have to train your staff to know how to like recommend different flavor pairings and, you know, to know how to like read, like you said, read the people that are trying to, to you know, that are trying to go, trying to go for a certain thing. Mm-hmm. So in that sense, I mean, you, you can't, you know, recommend tacos and then tell them to have, uh, I don't know, a, a painkiller. You know, right, it's just like right. it doesn't. That's not going to sit well in their stomach. You know, right. all the, that coconut, it's and the nutmeg with the with the tacos and the avocado, probably not the best combo. But maybe something with mezcal or tequila. You know, you well, can, that's kind of interesting because you're working with a lot of different flavors at a place like that, right? Like, mm-hmm. so you have to kind of be a little bit more uh, cautious about what you're recommending to the guests. I'm guessing. No, absolutely. And like I said, that's where uh, staff training really comes into play because Mm. every single time we put out a cocktail menu, I hand them over a book with all the flavor profiles, with all the flavor explanations, with all the spirit explanations. So none of them come up to me in the middle of shift. What the heck is cachaça? No, you're supposed to know that. We talked about this in the meeting. You should know what cachaça is. And you should know what what goes with that. So, (laughs) I mean, obviously, we still have moments. Let's talk about that for a little bit, actually, because obviously you're doing some training or have been doing some training there. uh, How do you find, how do you deal with exactly what you're talking about, where, where you can tell one of your employees or coworkers is just not... Because this happens to me all the time where you can tell they're just not really paying attention. They're not engaged in the training. It's not a big deal to them. Uh, but it's very important to you because you're trying to provide an experience at your spot. And they that's just fucking information they need to know, right? Uh, how do you deal with a situation like that? Um, in the past, I think that we just weren't being... Um, I just don't think that it was implemented in the proper way. You know, when I was on the other side of the bar, when I was the one that was getting trained, I felt like we never had proper guidance and we never had something to, to like have reference to, you know, um, which is why when I when I stepped into into the role of, the you know, being uh, the head bartender and the bar manager, um, I really wanted to make it as easy as possible for everybody working there to be on the same page, which is why I made a cock like our uh, bar Bible with literally explaining everything from opening to closing procedures um, as well as flavor pairings and cocktails and breakdowns of different measures and batch recipes and cocktail recipes and pictures, even pictures. I added pictures of the cocktails so that you really cannot fuck up the way it looks. Right. Because that, that was that's another pet peeve of mine when it comes to serving drinks. Like, it should always look the same. Consistency is always key. Um, I'm glad you said that. Consistency is maybe the most important thing in our entire industry. Absolutely, because when you make a cocktail menu... You really want the same level, uh, the same standard to be set every single day of the week. Like well, you can't be like, serving cocktails that look w- like one way on a Monday and then a different way on a Saturday. It doesn't matter how busy you are. Take yeah. the extra five minutes. They're going to wait for the cocktail, but it should arrive at the table the way it arrives when it's slow. Look and taste, okay. right? Like that's the thing. Absolutely. And that's why, like, you can tell you're in a haggard joint if you walk in and they're not tasting their cocktails before they send them out, right? <laughs> I mean, I I always urge every single person that works, even the servers, I tell them yeah. in the beginning, I tell them, taste it. Taste it, make a look, like, take a look at it. Make sure that you visually remember what the cocktail looks like. I almost want to, whenever we have a new person training and a new person that comes on board, 
we don't, we never ever want to make them feel like they're doing a terrible job. We want to help them grow. We want to help them get better, you know? So instead of like, you know, doing what some of my other uh, previous bosses used to do, yell at, like they yell and throw things and like, you know, toss Mm -hmm. them down the drain. Like, what the fuck is this shit? Make it again. And I'm like, what the fuck did I do? I don't know. I just followed the recipe. Oh, but you used the wrong syrup. I'm like, you can tell me that. Yeah, I didn't tell me know. that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no need to yell. It's okay. Yeah. Um, so, you know, small things like that. And I think that over time, I really learned how to be patient because it's, you know, even though I, I literally spelled it out for you, you know, like on paper and it's there for you to keep, like, you're not going to memorize every single word. Right. And it's okay. I'd rather have them come and ask me and me be prepared to explain to them again and again rather than cause tension and be mean and be an asshole because that's not what I'm there to do. Um, If my goal is to make people, make all of our customers feel welcome and feel at home and have an awesome experience and come back, then I want my staff to feel the same way. Right. You know, so whoever works with me, we're, we we really do work well together, and we communicate. That that's like that that that's probably our number one rule is that we communicate about everything, our problems, about you know misunderstandings, uh, which are common, as you know, probably yeah. yourself. So well, yeah, and so like some a problem that I've run into before is I'm very big on doing pre-shift tastings if we have a new product or a new cocktail or a new wine or a new beer or whatever the hell it is right and just like okay taste it let's all taste it together let's talk about what it tastes like and then that way you can hand sell it to your guests right but i've also done this for so long and now and how many times i do because sell they're just looking they're just happy they're getting to drink before the work like that's i mean unfortunately that's the case most of the time yeah that's that's been the case with us too yep i would you say that the real thing is we can't make everybody else care as much as we do Uh, I can't believe you said that. That's. I feel like that's something that I've heard so many times. I, every single time, I feel like I've had a bad day at work, and I come home, and all I want to do is cry. Um, and I either talk to my dad or my friends. And they're just like, Andre, n- n- people are not going to care as much as you care. Mm-hmm. It's just that's that's just how reality is, and you have to accept it. And you can't expect people to care as much as you do because they didn't make what you made. They follow. Right. They follow what you did. Um, you know, they're they're basically going going by what they're told to do and you can't you can't expect them to you know treat it in any different way because it's not theirs well, and um, what do you have any uh, tricks or suggestions about like so let's say well like someone like me this is my career i know you're moving into a new stage of your career but i, I would imagine that you still think this is sort of your career in general um is there what are the tricks to like get this sort of point across to get the level of the service you're expecting from say an employee or a coworker who is not looking at it as a career and is more looking at it as just like a job while they're trying to do something else is there is is it hopeless or is there a way to get them on board I don't think it's hopeless but I think that you need to be straightforward from the very beginning like what also what kind of bar are you trying to run Mm-hmm. Um, I think that specific bars are meant to be exactly that, what you just said, you know, a stepping stone for people, something temporary because they're not trying to move, do something on a larger scale. Mm-hmm. But if you're trying to have a bar with a specific direction, with a specific menu, with specific standards, then you have to have a staff that is willing to be there, that is willing to invest the time and the effort that, you know, they require to. And people, you need to hire people that you can rely on. Um, because at the end of the day, I mean, I mean, I mean, taking employees only again, as an example, people who work there, they're not there as in passing. They right. literally bar back for a year or two to get their white coats. 
Do you know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? It's that's a level of dedication that might be for some other places that it might be a little bit absurd and it might be too much, but there's a reason why they are who they are. Yes. Um, and I think can that, you explain, that, uh, sorry, you know, not to interrupt you. Can you explain white coat mm-hmm. to people who might not know what that is? Oh, sorry. Yeah. yeah. So, um, uh, it employs only the bartenders. They work in, uh, white coats. They're, those are their designated uniforms. And, um, that's essentially a coat that you earn after, um, you've worked, uh, for a certain amount of time as a barback, essentially, it's kind of like a recognition of okay, you're ready, you're ready to move on to the next step and be a principal bartender or an apprentice. First apprentice, then principal bartender. Right. So you know, and there's that, like a and that's hierarchy. Kind of hard, yeah, that's kind yeah. of hardcore. I don't think that was going to work for any every single kind of place, but. Uh, no, but they had their, yeah. you know, but they developed their own system. Yeah, you know, that's, I, that's what I was trying to say. They yeah, had their own thing. I certainly could think about instituting that at a couple of my places. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like a pretty good idea, actually. Yeah. Uh, no, but I'm saying that's that's how you get people to, to really notice that, you know, there is something special about this place. And for people who are trying to build a career within this industry, you really need to pick and choose. Because, again, you can, you can find a job in hospitality anywhere. Yes. Like, I mean, now times are a little bit different. So I, sure, I can't yeah, really in the real world back before this is what you're saying. Exactly. Yeah. You know, it's you can find a job as a buster, as a runner, as a barbecue, as a waitress, as a hostess. And you can do you can even find a job as a bartender in an Irish pub. It doesn't matter. Right. People are always going to be hiring people who are willing to work and who are willing to clock in, do their job and then leave. If that's yes. what you want to do, you can work anywhere. But right. um, there's a certain level of dedication and initiative that you really need to put in. Um, put into the job that you're doing if you want to grow and if you want to be better and improve and, you know, work your way up the ladder. And do you think that you can just solely train that or is that, or does, does someone sort of have to have is, is, I mean, I'm trying to think about the right way to say it. Is this something you're born with, like the ability or the desire to do this job? Like you, you know, people always talk about like, Oh, um, I was born with a certain talent and this is what I do with it. Uh, as opposed to, like, say, being a famous singer or something like that. Well, they were God-gifted a talent, and then then they worked hard, and they succeeded, right? But is there is there an innate bartending or serving gene, do you think? Or is this just, uh, or can we teach anybody to do this? I think anybody can be taught anything as long as they want to do it. I think that just needs to come internally. Um, if, if you really put your mind to something and, um, I mean, I don't think a bartending or serving requires any specific insane talent. I think the talent gives you the upper hand and it gives you an advantage, but I don't think it's crucial in making you, um, you know, the best that you can be. I think that that really comes from your personal choice to do that. I think that, I mean, what, counts what about, for, what about drive? Do you need drive? Yes. Yes. That too. I mean, you have to, you have to, again, it's, it's the want, it's the drive that, that, that pushes you to do something. Um, again, it can be related to bartending and serving. It can be related to anything else. Um, I feel like that effort that you invest counts for more than talent for sure. Uh, but I, and, and I agree with you about that. I also think though that there are certain, like, just like anything else in life, like my, I could work as hard as the fuck as I want and I'll never be a carpenter because my brain just doesn't work that way. <laughs> you know what I mean? Whereas like, there is a certain way that your brain needs to work to do our job well also. I mean, that's true. But I also think that a lot of that comes with practice and yeah. with training and with time. Okay. Um, 
so I, I do believe a, a certain part of it has to be innate. And for example, like I, I do notice that a lot of bartenders are, they're very good with their hands. Um, they're very like smooth. They have their own technique. They're fast. Um, you have to be in this job, especially mm -hmm. if you're working in a, in a fast paced, um, place in a high volume bar. Um, but again, I think that a lot of those things can be achieved if you really dedicate yourself and you, you put in the practice, you put in the time, you put in the effort. Um, I think that you can become very good at what you do. So for the, so yeah, I mean, what you're saying is like, if you've got the effort and desire, it can be taught to you. It can be. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so I have a, um, I want to get into, uh, media management and how you feel like this applies to the bar industry as well. Cause I know you feel like they're, they kind of can go hand in hand for you, but I just got to ask you this because I feel like you're one of the few guests that we've had on the show who might actually answer me. But uh, <laughs> tell me about the bartender server industry party scene in New York City. Uh, <laughs> 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 um, what, what is uh, what is that you're aiming at exactly? Well, I just want to know how it goes there. Like I, I've got plenty of my own party stories. There's no, uh, I, I, yeah. I, I have no secrets. But <laughs> Dan does as well. Sure. We, there's a reason that this um, okay. st we call this place Studio Two Fifty Eight, uh, where we record this, is because there were lots of uh, Studio Fifty Four style yeah. Yeah. Lots <laughs> parties, of parties that wait till about lunchtime the next day. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you don't have to talk about it if you don't want to, but I just. <laughs> thought maybe you if you want to if you want to take a pass on this you're welcome to no i mean uh i can right um i just hope my parents aren't listening to this uh <laughs> 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 no I'm, I'm kidding no um when it, i mean i feel like with the job of a bartender you know the whole entertainer role comes with it uh so you know we i i mean i don't really think i met a bartender that doesn't necessarily drink or at least cheers with their people mm -hmm. um i think that our community is very tight-knit especially in new york city we have a lot of events that we all go to you know a lot of the same brands keep hosting uh different gatherings and happy hours at the same bars at the same places i mean industry nights are huge especially on like sunday monday tuesdays um, okay, let me ask you this, actually. Uh, how do you build an industry night? Because you know how everybody just says, fuck, oh, that's an industry night. Uh, we'll just call it industry night, and then all, all the bartenders up. and servers will come, and won't that be grand? Like, how, how do you pull that off? So, honestly, I now that I think about it, I absolutely have no idea how I even, like, got into that whole, like, spiel. <laughs> but uh, I think that you just get with, with, like, a closer group of yours uh, that you personally know, and then you head up one bar and then you connect with those people and then you head up another bar and then it's organic then. those people yeah it's kind of organic we just naturally i mean we're, we we love people we talk to people whenever i go to a bar i i sit at a bar i hate sitting at tables being served by a server no, I, I again nothing against them they work very hard but i just personally love to connect with the person yeah, unless you're on, a drink. yeah unless you're on a date or something like then yeah. exactly yeah but exactly. like but you know how it's like kind of the kiss of death or at least i don't know how it works in new york but like certainly where we are it's it's the kiss of death to be like put out on social media industry night at my bar tonight people are gonna be like what the fuck does that mean i know but i feel like i feel like new york city has developed like a, a, a i don't know like a habit of having industry nights it's just mm. it's like known now you yeah. know everybody i even when i stepped in the industry it, it was like a thing monday nights were an industry night mm -hmm. so we're, no matter where you go um you it's knew just industry night 
it, it just was, you know, and some sometimes like when people would advertise it as such, then it would like grow into being more of a party scene. Mm. Um, but in general, I don't think that bartenders go for that. You know, I, th- no. I think that what they're looking for is more for a community. And right. that's what industry nights are usually. They're yeah. more, you kind of run into the same people that, you know, do, do your job and you get along yeah. with them. You're just like sharing a drink or two or seven. Yeah, so there's, um, no, way to craft, <laughs> there's no way to craft that party. It's just got to happen organically. and like, It happens organically. It, yeah. And so yeah. what about the after hours scene though? Like, you know, you guys get all get off work, like... You, well, we usually just go to like other local bars that are open later, yeah. or we keep we 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 stay open and we drink all together. Yeah, um, I guess it's different in New York because you guys can stay open till four. Like we're we're handcuffed by two a.m. Two a.m. Well, yeah. I did not know that. Yeah, really? yeah, yeah, yeah. So I guess yeah, it's a little different. Like you know, if I'm in New York and and I'm still in my twenties and not an old man with a family like I am now, then <laughs> I'm like, if I can drink till four a.m., I'm like. Back back in those years of my life, hitting some blow, fucking out till four a.m. <laughs> like I can I, I can I can handle it. But then four a.m. is around the time you're thinking about going home anyway. Unless, but um, here it's like we would be done at two a.m. and go to somebody's house yeah. and two a.m. hard stop. Yeah. <laughs> See, usually we, we usually do the same, but we just do the whole like going to somebody's house at four. Right. Oh, yeah. That's okay. pretty much it. Yeah. All right. So we, we keep we keep going, you know, but the bars that close earlier, we close up and then we go to the bars that are open later and then we usually right. close up those bars and then we take those people and we go to somebody's house. Um, that's how you do it. That's what we call somebody's the, roof. That's what we call the yeah, rolling party. Yeah, what time do bars open in New York? What times do bars open? Uh, if you exclude brunch times, which is usually yeah. 11, 10 a.m. Uh, or whatnot, I would say between like 3 p.m. and 5 p.m. Mm. Okay. Um, so, uh, there's always this like, um, my uh, my former boss had this idea that like, if we open at 3 p.m., people are going to start getting used to the fact that we open earlier. So by 5 p.m., we're already going to have people inside sitting and enjoying their drinks and food compared to other bars who open at 5 p.m. And then that's when they're going to get like, you know, uh, the, the slow start. So, yeah, yeah. Uh, which makes sense. I mean, he was right. We we did the like analysis of like when people come in and whatnot, and like we counted covers, and it, it made sense. It's just like slow in the beginning. So I usually, I mean, I hated being there at like one thirty. I have to be there at one thirty, and I work until like two a.m. Man, I wanted to shoot myself. You know, those yeah. are like bastard shifts. You know, but yeah. that's the thing with a local bar. Like you, you just don't have enough. Uh, you have enough staff, but like those shifts, like you don't, it, they're not lucrative enough to be shared like that. Um, so whenever right. I worked, let's say a taco Tuesday, I would like go in around like one thirty, two PM. And then I would leave around like 2 AM ish. Oh, right. Um, so that, and, and yeah. that's interesting you're talking about too, because like those smaller spots for you too, like that's how you're going to make your money is sledding those long hours. Right. But like, yep. but in a place that's got like, say a, like a, a, a more massive spot, bigger restaurant, bigger bar, a lot more turnover. In places like that, they can work shorter shifts and make the same amount of money almost. I mean, that's exactly what happened. Like, that's yeah. the comparison that I, I got when I worked at Paper Daisy and when I worked at the High Water. Mm. Um, you know, Paper Daisy being uh, a bar in the East Village, High Water being a bar, a local bar in Astoria, you can definitely feel the difference because at Paper Daisy had work shifts for like maybe five, six, seven hours tops. And in two days, I would make the same that I would make in at high water and like more. So right. I mean, it, it again, there, it all has its like 
good, good and bad sides. Uh, for example, at high water, I would have regulars who would come in on a Tuesday and tip me like crazy. And sometimes sure. I'd walk out with like four or 500 bucks, Right. you know, and it, that's kind of insane because that yeah. usually doesn't happen on a, on a weekend, weekday. No. Um, yeah. So, you know, in that sense, I feel like it has its, it has its upsides and has the downsides, but, um, personally, I prefer working in a local bar, um, because of the familiarity you get with the place and the customers. But at the other hand, it is a downside to me just because it just does require a lot more effort and engagement. And at, at this moment, at this point in my life, I, I just, there's so much that I want to do outside of that. I feel like that, that all of that energy cannot be invested into just one place. I need to kind of like, expand it a little bit so, so. and uh, so let's get into that and, and that's what you're doing now you're doing your master's in media management is that did i say that right yes yes i'm doing a media management um master i'm gonna i'm gonna be a master of science in media management oh. i don't know how that's possible but yeah <laughs> so do i, do uh, I, I have to call you a master for the rest of the show or <laughs> can we stick with dre we can stick with dre okay. uh, i'm uh, i'm humble <laughs> enough for that <laughs> all right um, so talk to us about that exactly what it is and and how because i know um, through what you we've talked about previously to recording today, that you feel like there's a connection between that and the service industry that you can bring. Um, yeah. So um, at the at the moment, I'm at uh, it's called the New School. Um, it's located in Manhattan on uh, by Union Square on 14th Street. Um, it, the program is awesome. It's fantastic. It really does offer a lot of sort of insight into what I've already been doing but I didn't really know what I was doing mm. uh, because when I, when I graduated my bachelor's, uh, which is, was media studies, um, it was mostly focused on journalism and digital production. I kind of trans like translated that experience into the high water. And I was working as the like social media manager. I was posting on Instagram. I was running our Facebook page or website. Um, I always, I was always the one that took all the photos for everything we ever posted. Uh, you know, so I'd like come in, bring in my camera and I'd like do my thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I got to practice like that end of things. And, you know, I got more and more intrigued into how people can actually do both, especially somebody who understood the business from the inside, because you have a lot of these like marketing and media agencies who, you know, go up to bars and restaurants. They're like, let us do your portfolio for you. But then at the other hand, like they have no no clue what they're taking photos of. You know, they don't know how, I mean, some of them do a fantastic job because they just know how to brand things very well. But then I think that somebody who's who comes from the industry would know it even better, mm-hmm. you know? So I wanted to kind of like go down that path and like get the the professional training I needed and just kind of like learn more about like specific, like, you know, how to do strategic marketing, how to like, you know, develop business plans for media companies, because, you know, eventually I would like to, I would like to have some, some, some sort of media business of my own that could work with, um, with spirit brands and bars. Um, so that's, that's what I've been doing for the past year of my life. I kind of tried to find like a, like a golden, golden middle, uh, between balancing like the work with high water and my projects in school. So, you know, I did a lot of like quick commercial shoots at high water to advertise the, the, you know, the season and the cocktail shifts that were, that were serving. I even made a quick doc, like quick documentary, interview with my boss about the whole COVID-19 effect on this industry and on high water specifically, because I was already within uh, the bar. So I figured why not? Um, And yeah, I think that it it was a great like stepping stone for me to kind of like test out, you know, my photography skills, my video skills, and, and also the whole like media, social media engagement as well. So yeah. Hmm. 
Well, that sounds, uh, I, just, I think you're going to be successful in it. Like you said, it helps to come from the industry instead of just like these media agencies just coming in and thinking they know that the service is, like, would you agree that the service industry is just a slightly different animal than most other, like you can't just use the same advertising ideas that you would use at, say, a, like a, um, I don't know, like whatever, like a factory or a, a auto sales um uh, what what is the word I'm looking for there? Like, uh, oh, like a fucking auto dealership. Uh, yes, thank you. Dealership. There you go. Yeah, <laughs> holy shit. See, you should be hosting this. Yeah, look at the <laughs> yeah. look at the sir behind the mic. Look at me. Yeah, look at yeah, me. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay, so like, would you agree that the service industry is just a little bit of a different animal than these like a standard uh, industry where like a media management depart- um, agency might target? Um, actually, I, I think it's a completely different animal in yeah. that sense because, you know, people, people again, people go to bars and restaurants for the experience, you know, and for what they consume. So, you know, the two the two key things there are the products that they're consuming and the experience that they're getting from it. So that's something that you want to translate, you know, and nowadays we live in the 21st century. Everything that's trending, everything that's pop- popular is what's going to bring people through your doors. Mm-hmm. So that's something that you really want to focus your money on too. Like you want to invest in advertising. You want to invest in marketing. However, like don't screw yourself over by buying stupid ads. Like you can build yourself on your own by using Instagram, by using these like very clever, subtle tactics that doesn't scream into other people's faces. Hey, look, this is sponsored, like come through. It's more organic. It's like, it focuses more on like marketing through the word of mouth and like, you know, people like friends sharing experiences with others. That's why I I think that Instagram is such a good um, platform to invest in because you can really create a beautiful portfolio of photos of your own place of what you're trying to sell and people are going to share it. Uh, that is if you do it the right way. So, right. well, I, t- I think you're going to be successful, Dre. Like you definitely know what you're talking about. You got a good head on your shoulders. So I wish you all the success and luck in that. Uh, and I hope Thank that you. maybe sometime you combine it with getting back in the bar game because I think you're going to miss it. Seems like you love it. I really do, and I think I missed it already. So yeah. uh, I will probably jump back into it, yeah. at least for te- temporarily. <laughs> well, we'll let you go, but uh, do you want to give us one late-night New York party story before you go? Yeah. You know, the thing with New York party stories, they never end. You know, <laughs> they uh, they, usually, they start <laughs> off early, and they're very blurry. Um, I've... I think that the the best one that I can remember at the top of my head, it was after class, actually, one day. I finished uh, I finished one of my classes. It was a late-night class around maybe 8, 9 p.m. And I decided to take my, uh, my friends from my school to Paper Daisy. And I brought a group of about 10 people to the bar. And I think we stayed there until about 4. And then we went to Holiday Cocktail Lounge, and then we stayed there until 5, even though they closed at 4. Yeah. And we just kept drinking. And it was just the best time, especially because all these kids were international students, like, mixed from everywhere, like myself. You know, none of them really knew this scene. And after that, they were always like, Yo, Andrea, when are we going to go again? Like, when are you going to think of something? <laughs> <laughs> so... So that that's you know it's I like being the host I like being the entertainer so you know that's that's definitely a role that I'll definitely gladly step into again. Uh, uh, well, so I the, feel like that's a that's a, a, a good wrap up story for you. Yeah. Perfect. So if someone wants to get a hold of you on uh, like social media like Instagram or whatnot, what would be the best way to do that? 
Uh, if you guys would like to follow me on Instagram, I would say that that's the platform where you can get all of my additional links at, including my website. So mm-hmm. just follow me on Instagram. It's uh, by two underscores d r e by Dre. Uh, yeah, I'm so original, right? Oh my god! <laughs> uh, all right, Thank well, thanks, you. thanks, Trey. This was awesome. You're cool. Thanks for doing this. We appreciate it. I wish you all the luck and enjoy your little vacation before you got to get back to it. Thank you so much, guys. Yeah. It was a pleasure to meet you. Uh, stay safe, stay healthy, and uh, yeah, cheers. I noticed you two sipping on that wine yeah, throughout yeah. this podcast, yeah. so it's, you keep that empty. going. It's empty. We got to go fucking refill it now. So. <laughs> <laughs> thanks Let's again, Brad. Yeah, thanks okay. very much. Thank you so much, guys. Have an awesome night. Bye. Thank you.